perhaps you've opened a box of Cracker Jacks hoping to find a wonderful prize. However, what you have found is a prize even more valuable, a continuing episode of our conversation with Fatma, our dear friend who's a medical resident in New York City, connecting with her psychiatric residency. In our practice, Namaste Holistic Counseling, I know that, well, particularly for the last year, Fatma, I've been seeing patients every day, uh, usually on the weekends, only until noon. However, uh, what type of uh, what type of ailments, what type of uh, problems have you been seeing mainly from people, especially during this last year? So since I'm doing more outpatient, you know, we see a lot of like depression, anxiety, um, panic disorder. Um, adjustment disorder. Um, we do also, obviously, you know, since it's a it's a it's a clinic in a hospital that has its own inpatient units. Um, we also see a lot of you know patients with um, schizophrenia, schizoaffective, bipolar disorder who had you know recent admissions to the hospital. Um, but I would say that we've definitely seen. Um, you know, an increasing number of people with anxiety, uh, particularly during, you know, during the pandemic. Um, I'm running into many patients who just seem to be languishing. They uh, are restless, irritable, discontent, and they they can't put a finger on it or find out what's driving that behavior. Do you or do you have occasion to encounter that? Yeah. But I think, you know, obviously our our clinic is a little more intense in a way. So not a lot of people, you know, so we, we get like quite acutely sick patients. Okay. Well, great. I, I always enjoyed uh, doing that type of work, actually. Uh, so uh, have there been any breakthroughs in medication as far as treating people with schizophrenia? and or uh, schizoaffective disorder? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because of the volume of patients that we see, um, and, you know, we do see some of the sickest um, patients, um, we, you know, have to use a lot of medications or we have to kind of, like, figure out ways um, to to help people, you know, become... uh, part of the community again so yeah um i think we we get quite a lot of exposure into medications antipsychotics mood stabilizers antidepressants i'm a firm believer in that talk therapy the type of mindfulness-based efforts that i do also they enhance and make the medication work better however i do run into some people sometime who just want to get better on their own. And I, I attempt to tell them that, uh, could you just give medication a chance? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was, that, that was something that I kind of like struggled with a lot when I started my third year, because the first two years of residency, we do most, mostly inpatient or emergency room. Um, you know, so obviously patients are not, uh, stable enough that they can uh, function in the community so they need to be in the hospital but in the third year since we do mostly outpatient 
um, you know, these are these are stable patients. Um, and I think one of the things that I struggled with quite a lot was just to kind of like, you know, understand that I can be a good doctor rec- and make recommendations. But the, at the end of the day, um, the patient has autonomy and they are the ones who are going to decide um, what to do. And I think one of the things that I had some I had a hard time kind of like grasping was that I I can't be making more of an effort than my patient is so I think um, that was something that I needed to learn well one of the things that uh, we always learn is that if we're working harder at a situation than the patient is then our efforts are not going well I usually (laughs) tell people that I'll do my part however I expect you to do yours yeah, yeah, for sure. So there's been recently I've connected with uh, psychiatrists that uh, do ketamine infusions and also the TMS type of therapy, the transcranial magnetic stimulation. Uh, I don't know how your uh, experience has been, but I've seen ketamine make some uh, incredible improvements in people with drug-resistant depression. So definitely, you know, we in our hospital, we have electroconvulsive therapy, we are trying to get, you know, TMS um, approval, but all of that takes a while. Um, I haven't had a chance to work with ketamine, but you know, it is something that we definitely talk about. We, you know, we have regular journal clubs, case conferences, where we, you know, review the latest literature. Um, so we definitely talk a lot about intranasal ketamine and how, you know, because sometimes we have tried, um, you know, a lot of SSRIs or we've tried a lot of, you know, we've, there, there have been patients who've had like good, uh, you know, eight, 10 sessions of ECT and they, they don't see a lot of difference. So it is something that we, um, uh, talk about, but we don't. Uh, always have the resources and sometimes our patients don't have the resources because I do work in like a in a in a city hospital so a lot of our patients are uninsured undocumented um, or you know just don't have unfortunately a lot of resources well that's uh, definitely a story for another whole podcast as that's one of my uh issues with the world today is when people, uh, through no fault of their own, lose their medical coverage and or don't have it to begin with. However, one of the things that Dr. Chaudhary always said was, if somebody has the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try, then financial considerations should not stand in the way of their wellness. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how uh, that plays out in your hospital. They still have to pay the electric bills and pay their staff. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, one of the good things about working in a city hospital is that, you know, we don't, um, and I try to uh, reiterate that to my patients, that not having insurance is not 
is not a hindrance to seeking treatment. Um, you know, we do have uh, measures in place if somebody lost their job or lost coverage or lost, you know, because of the pandemic, have lost like the primary uh, uh, breadwinner of the family. Um, you know, they we do have a financial counseling department where they can go show them, you know, how they're not how they don't have a job or uh, if it's maybe a family of 10 that's being provided by one uh, provided for by one person. Um, so they can actually get um, a fee scale and the lowest of fee scales like the uh, is that basically you get every appointment free. Um, and for medication, you have to pay like two bucks for medication, like our hospital pharmacy would dispense that medication for them that's being prescribed. But obviously, a lot of like the newer medications, uh, you know, are not um, available in that case, like medications that require like prior authorizations or that are very, very expensive that are not being stocked by our pharmacy. But I still think, you know, just the just having you know some like just having the ability to see a psychiatrist or a doctor um for free is is a very very big thing then you're providing a wonderful service and actually i'm a real firm believer in the 12-step world as you know and there's a responsibility pledge in uh, 12-step recovery that says when anyone anywhere reaches out their hand for help, I want the hand, in this case, of AA always to be there. And for that, I am responsible. Uh, how, does, how does this take, if any, does this take a toll on you emotionally? How do you wash some of these things off at the end of the day? Um, you know, there are days that are harder um, than other days. Um, I have been in therapy myself for the past two years at this point. Okay. Um, which I think has definitely, you know, helped me a lot to kind of like, you know, maintain boundaries, um, you know, to try and leave work when I leave work. Um, and then in just general, do not let, um, do not carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. Right. So <clears throat> one of the things that, and again, I refer to the 12-step world frequently, even with my patients, is that uh, we can't allow other people's problems to become our own, or then we'll become, uh, we'll become useless. Mm -hmm. So I often talk to people about the difference between being worried and being concerned. Worry can consume you. Worry can be debilitating, uh, which prevents you from acting. However, and again, we're talking about this mindset type of a deal where we have concern, which means that we are aware of the issue, which means we can act upon it. Uh, one, of the, one of the tattoos that I got was, I don't know if you can see it, but it says abracadabra. Uh, when you think of the word abracadabra, Fatma, what comes to your mind? Well, I am a big Harry Potter fan. So my 
when I think about abracadabra, I think of Avada Kedavra, which is like a death spell in ah, Harry Potter. Okay. Well, mainly in abracadabra, it's used by <laughs> magicians, mainly in the United States, when they want to make something appear. They say abracadabra. Um, mm -hmm. However, it's a real word, and it comes from uh, the Bible's Jesus time, and it's Aramaic. And what it translates into, I speak what I create, I create what I speak. So 90% mm -hmm. of cognitive behavioral therapy is about changing the language in the way one speaks to oneself. Uh, however, I often caution people that therapy can be frustrating and it can be time consuming and the rewards can be incremental. Uh, how do you how do you pass that knowledge on and try to ask people to be patient? Um, you know, I think it's definitely a big struggle uh, because I think patients sometimes feel like, you know, um, medications are kind of like magical wands that I will just swish and flick and their depression or anxiety is going to go away or that, you know, one therapy session is going to um, fix everything. Um, one of the... Um, one of my attendings uses this particular um, example, and I don't think that I I will be as you know I I will be able to explain it as well as he does. But what he kind of says is that you know you think of your depression or your anxiety or whatever that you're going through, you think of it as you know being on like a boat. Um, with uh, and in water that is you know waves are crashing and it's like um, the tide is high and you feel like you know you might drown um, and the medication and therapy is kind of like an oar so it will help you but at the end of the day you're the one who has to actually you know work on it yourself. So one of my favorite absolute favorite memories uh with you was when we uh, met those young people in Highland Park mm -hmm. and you sat mm -hmm. down with them and uh, then we came back down to my office on North Highland Avenue and we did the prayers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. One of my favorite times with you. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. have you been able to continue uh, practicing your faith here? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I also love about New York. Um, I think it's a it's a very diverse place. And, you know, you I, I see a lot of people, uh, you know, with similar skin color or who, who are from Pakistan or the subcontinent. You know, you, you have mosques here. Um, it was just Ramadan. Um, Ramadan yes. ended last week. So, uh, you know, it was it was a very spiritually uh, effective month for for a lot of us here. So how did the pandemic affect you personally, not professionally, personally? Um, I think the biggest thing was my inability to go home. Um, I was supposed to go um, to Pakistan to visit my mom in June of 2020. And then. Um, earlier this year, I wanted to go, but I was not able to. 
Um, and I think a lot of us uh, international graduates who come away, who come far away from home, um, we try not to let it affect us, but a lot of our irritability or, you know, just in general, how we um, live our lives um, is definitely affected by, you know, the subconscious because we're, you know, we, we miss home, we miss our families, we miss our parents more than anything else. Um, and I think the, the other thing was also just, you know, I, our lives of healthcare workers didn't really change in the sense that, you know, we were still going into work, we were coming back home um i was i kind of consider myself lucky because i live on my own so i didn't have to feel like you know i was bringing home something and that some like one of my loved ones would get sick um if i was bringing you know if if i were to carry you know the virus with me from work um but just the idea of like you know things that you could do things that we took for granted like you know hanging out with friends or going to the park and stuff like that i think especially when the pandemic had just started or when we had the first wave last year i think it really took away means um of us being able to decompress one of the although i don't have a prescription pad one of the prescriptions that I generally try to write every day is one for hope. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me about, tell me about the hope that you attempt to instill in people, Fatma. So there is actually um, a verse in the Holy Quran, which um, transliterates to uh, verily with every difficulty there is ease. Um, so I basically just say that, you know, every, every night has a dawn, every night will end. Um, so this might seem like a very long night. It might seem like a never ending night, but it will end and you will see light. Yes. So the Buddha has a saying, roughly the same thing. He says, uh, when you feel despair, know that no matter how dark the night, morning comes. No matter mm -hmm. how cold the winter, spring comes. When you feel despair, know that the wheel is turning. Joy will come. And uh, I particularly remember one time when I was uh, feeling particularly uh, despondent, and I usually don't get that way. I think, you know, I'm a pretty upbeat type of person. Uh, I am a Quaker, I'm a liberal Quaker, and I felt that I needed to connect with somebody. So I, the meeting house where we meet is down in Pittsburgh, and I was in Delmont, a little far away. So I attended uh, the mosque many times in Monroeville with uh, Dr. Chaudhry, and I decided to go there. So I went in there, and I, I was despondent, and I was just sitting there, and uh, some older gentleman came up to me, and he says, you look troubled, brother. And I said, yes, yes, I am. And he says, he said, give, he said, lay your burdens with Allah. His, he, he is merciful. And uh, that, that meant a lot to me that day, very much so, very, very much so. Uh, and I always appreciated your attention to your faith, as with, uh, with holistic wellness, uh, I make no apologies for suggesting and often insisting that there has to be some type of spiritual connection to my bind and make hold the, uh, the, body, and the body and the uh, mind. 
how uh, what type of uh, is that a type of practice where in the city hospital where you're at? Not really, um, but one thing that I was surprised. Um, when I was, you know, when I just started was that they do, you know, when, when we do have new admissions, we do have, we do ask them whether there is any sort of spiritual care that they require, or if there's anything that they need in terms of, you know, practicing their faith, or if there's anything that we can do. A lot of people um, don't really feel comfortable answering that question oh, okay. or don't feel like there is anything that they want to add. Mm -hmm. But there are people for whom, you know, um, their faith matters a lot. And they tell us if they're, you know, they're practicing Muslims, they would want like a prayer mat or um, they want the Bible, they want the pastor to come visit them. Um, so I was... I was pleasantly surprised that, and it's it's something that we do for every patient. Now, whether they choose to um, utilize that or it's something that's not important to them, that that depends on the patients. But it's something that definitely we try to include. So you present opportunities. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's what I try to help people understand. They can view things as an obstacle, or they can view them as an opportunity. Uh, it depends on which perspective they want to look at. Which end of the horse do you want to look at? The horse has two ends. Uh, you can look at the front end or you can look at the rear end. I suggest the front end myself. Uh, however, Dr. Chaudhry always referred to depression as learning days. Uh, always something that we can learn from that moment, uh, which is so much I appreciated about him. So if there's any message that you would like to uh, send out to particularly young ladies who may be listening to this podcast and say, wow, wow, I wish I could be like Fatma. Wow, I could wish I could be in her position. What would you have to say to them? Um, I would just say, say have faith in yourself. Um, you know, you can do anything that you put your mind to. Um, you just need to have faith in yourself and take the first step. Taking the first step. Uh, Sometimes we call that failure to launch, and taking that first step often requires courage. So tell us about the courage that you had to leave Pakistan to come to the United States to a foreign country and get involved in medical education. Um, sometimes I think maybe it was just naivety. Like I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Sometimes <laughs> I think it was just blind faith that um, God will um, make it easy for me and will figure out a way. Because I remember um, when I was preparing for the steps, there were days when, you know, I would feel really down or hopeless and I would cry and I would, you know, complain to my parents. And both my mom and my dad used to say to me that don't pray that, you know, that God um grants you success in the USMLE journey just pray that if this is for your betterment if this is for a good future if this is where you are meant to succeed then he will open the path for you um so i think i i maybe it just came from there that if this is working out for me it is because god has blessed this journey for me 
That sounds like the 11th step in 12-step recovery, Fatma, where it says we seek through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So I believe there's a uh, much correlation between uh, the steps of uh, 12-step recovery and, and and your faith. It sounds like there's uh, there's much. Uh, quite often, Fatma, what I'll uh, give people is the uh, 10 profound Sufi thoughts, and I think they're they're just beautiful. So you're a great story of inspiration, and you're delightful, and I in so much enjoyed our time together when we were together. And if I go to New York City, I will look you up, and I guess you can consider that a warning. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's your intentions for tomorrow? What is, what, let's talk about your intentions for tomorrow. Well, I plan to have a good day. Okay. Will you choose to do so? I choose to do so. I love that words. So uh, if there's any way that we can contact you again, uh, we'd like to get an update. We always like to have an update on guests in usually six or seven months to give us a, where, the, where they're at in their life. As always, at the end of every podcast, we offer a free prescription, Fatma, fruits, nuts, and vegetables, unplug your television, and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for yourself and do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste, my friends. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.